Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Great to see you this morning. I'm Pastor Andy. I'm the counseling pastor around here. And uh, it's my pleasure to be with you this morning and bring God's Word. Um, Before we get into uh, God's Word and the message this morning, just uh, a shout out to Pastor Josh and Danielle. Awesome. The birth of their baby. And uh, certainly a day of rejoicing with them. And and also just a, a shout out about the counseling conference. Counseling conference, we've been talking about it for months and months and months. Uh, went off uh, yesterday. Um, we had a few glitches, but nothing really to complain about. Uh, it went really, really well. So a shout out to everybody that participated with that. All the presenters did a great job. A special shout out to uh, Jake and Chelsea Smith. Give them a hand. They, they uh, really came through in a lot of ways, and they did all the techie stuff for the tech conference, and uh, they made it work. So... Um, um, thanks for that. And they had, there are other people involved, you know, Lawrence Michelson's involved, Jared's involved, and uh, we just, we are really blessed in our church to have uh, people that know how to handle those things. I am not that guy, so I appreciate people that do. Um, so, thanks for being here this morning. Um, we've been in uh, our sermon series uh, the title is True Greatness, Humility, and Servanthood. That's what we've been focusing on in our time together. It's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do, let's go ahead and uh, open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into it, okay? Father God, thanks for the morning. Thanks for bringing us uh, here this morning, God. And we love you, and we, we come with expectations. God, we expect that you're just going to do great work through your word your spirit works through your word, God. We need it to affect our hearts, and, and uh, God, we're expecting you to do that. We can't do that on our own. Uh, that would just be manufactured things, God, that don't last. And so we're asking you to speak through your word, God, in powerful ways. Meet us where we are, God. We all have needs. Help us to be convicted where we need to be, God, and, uh, and, uh, and have hope where we need to have hope. And we'll give you all the glory for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to get into Mark chapter 9, as Justin read before. Thanks, Justin, for reading the word. Um, but before we do, I just let's, let's back up a minute and just grab some context from previous verses. And you can just, you can scan those verses, verses 20 through 29. We're not going to read them. I'll kind of recap some of those things but here's where we're at jesus is casting a spirit out of a boy and that spirit had been in this boy for quite some time bible says since childhood and mark relays that it was a rather well look it was it was a dramatic traumatic event and that's what it talks about it Threw him onto the ground. It made him foam at the mouth. He rolled about. It, was, it, would, it would cast him into fire and into water, trying to destroy him. It was, it was just nothing short of traumatic. And uh, it was also miraculous. It was miraculous. The disciples find themselves perplexed. It's a great word. Why couldn't we cast its spirit out? And Jesus replies, Well, because this kind cannot be driven out 
by anything but prayer. And so they're perplexed, and it's a miraculous event. And then if you drop down to verse 30 through 32, you see Jesus privately talking to his disciples as they're passing through Galilee. And a conversation ensues, and he tells them that he'd be delivered into the hands of men and killed, and after three days he would rise. But they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask. You know what we do? You and me? We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves. That's what we do. We think about ourselves a lot. And we talk about ourselves a lot. We do it so much that we can miss important things that we should really, really stop and take notice of. We all think pretty highly of ourselves. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace of given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than you ought to think, but to think sober with judgment. I love what Paul Tripp says. He, he says this about concerning ourselves. He says, I'm deeply persuaded that we're addicted to the pursuit of self-glory because... When we look in the mirror, we think we see someone who deserves to be glorified. Instead of using the mirror of God's word to keep our judgment sober, we see an aggrandized version of who the Bible says we actually are. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And that's the truth. And so self-focus and our pride, it can take those things that we should take notice of that should be priorities, and it turns our priorities upside down. And so rather than seeing ourselves how we really should, as sinners in need of God's grace, just like what Romans 3.23 describes, for all have sinned, we make ourselves the most important, we make ourselves the most important thing, just like what Tripp talks about. An article dated in 2013 in Scientific American, not the most biblical journal to read, but an article nonetheless entitled Neuroscience, the Neuroscience of Everybody's Favorite Topic, Themselves. And here's what it says. On the average, people spend 60% of their conversation, 60%, talking about themselves. And this figure jumps to 80% when they communicate via social media and media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. Author goes on to ask this question. Why in a world full of ideas to discover, ideas to develop, things to discuss, why do people spend the majority of their time talking about themselves? Recent research suggests a simple explanation. Because it feels good. It feels good. We think and talk about ourselves a lot. We're very self-focused. We all are. We should be way, way, way more humble. Our hearts are sinful to the core. 
we are full of pride. Our self-focus and pride runs deep. We get caught up in our own wants, our own needs, our desires. Let me give you an example. Tell you a story. When Chad Biddle was born, I knew nothing about babies. When I say I knew nothing about babies, I had never held a baby. I had never held a baby, and I had never changed a diaper. And when, when Julie found out, when we found out Julie was pregnant, we determined, okay, Julie determined that we were going to use cloth diapers. Now, the Biddles were going green before green was green. And if you've used a cloth diaper, you'll go green. Let me tell you, I knew nothing about diapers. I knew nothing about babies. I knew, here's what I knew. I knew nothing about protocol. I knew nothing about when to go get, when to go get Julie and Chad and bring them home. I knew nothing about that protocol. And my brilliant solution that I couldn't get out of my head wasn't get the house in order, it was go buy a plant. What kind of a person, when they have a myriad of things to handle and they've never changed a diaper and were using pins and cloth diapers, and yes, it was in the modern era that this happened, cloth diapers, goes out and gets a plant. But here's what I remember. I remember being so focused on what I wanted to do. And I was determined to buy that plant because I wanted her to think well of me and I wanted to appear like I had everything under control. And so my solution was buy a plant. Such a guy thing to do. <laughs> and so it's just so weirdly disconnected from reality. It's just so weirdly weird. And Julie was super gracious to me. But here's the thing. I didn't just buy any plant. Any plant. I bought a, a, I think it's pronounced Diefenbachia. They're poisonous. I didn't know. I didn't know I bought a poisonous plant. Julie said, you, we can't have that plant. I said, why can't we have that? Why can't I have my plant? I'm plant man. <laughs> and she said, well, because it's poisonous. We can't have a poisonous plant with a kid in the house. What were you thinking? The point is, I was concerned about me. I was just concerned about me. We can be so self-focused, so prideful. And so this morning as we think about it, we just... We have to think about a couple of things from these verses. And the first thing I want you to think about is, is this. Our self-focus and our pride, it blinds us from seeing the greatness of God. You can read about it. You can read about it. And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They had seen miraculous things. They had heard wonderful things. They were perplexed. 
So here's the million dollar question. How do disciples go from seeing and experience such things, hearing such things about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and they end up arguing with each other about who's the best, who's the greatest? Well, their focus was all wrong. Their focus was all wrong. Focus on themselves, not on God. And how quickly the fantastic miracle that they had seen. That was an absolute miracle. When Jesus cast the spirit out of that boy, it was an absolute miracle. How quickly that miracle and the news of his sacrifice that was coming faded, just faded into the background of all of their wants and desires. And their silence in verse 34 revealed a lot, says a lot. When he asked him what they'd been discussing, their silence was probably an indicator that their focus was all wrong and they got it, at least some. Walter Wessel says this, maybe they were ashamed. Maybe they were just flat out ashamed. And that instead of contemplating Jesus' passion and the suffering that it would involve for him and for them, they were just occupied with their senseless argument about their own greatness. And so the question remains, how can the most extraordinary things sit right in front of us, right in front of us, and yet we get so focused on ourselves, our own wants, our needs? We're so consumed with ourselves, aren't we? And we're sinners living in a, in a self-focused, sin-cursed world. We're really good at promoting ourselves. We're sinners that way. Our sinful default is to just think about ourselves and talk about ourselves more than anything else. This is not a new problem. It's not a new problem. Because being self-focused and prideful, it's been our problem from the beginning in the garden. Genesis 3 in the fall. We want our own way. I want that plant. As ridiculous as it sounds, we've all purchased the plant. We believe we're the greatest. Self-focus and pride is alive and well in a world that we live in. And not only that, we're naturally bent that way. We're bent towards thinking about ourselves and making ourselves the most important thing. <clears throat> Think about ourselves all the time. But you know, James 4.15 says, but if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. That's where we should be. But our self-focus, it fleshes itself out in, I can't, I won't, I need, I just can't give my time to that. I just can't give my time to that right now. I don't have time for that. I can't give up any of my time. I'm not going to give energy to that problem. I need to take time for myself. I need a little me time. I, 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 we're bent that way. In 2017, there was a Futurity article entitled, 
Pride may be the key to our social lives. And author Andrea Estrada says this, Pride doesn't deserve its dark reputation. Rather, pride generates socially valuable outcomes for others as a side effect of a natural desire to be approved of, and pride appears to be an elegantly engineered emotion, makes you pursue social value uh, courses of action, and it facilitates gains in esteem. By the way, we think of ourselves way too much. It's not esteem that we lack. It's a concentration towards God. That's what we lack. In other words, pride doesn't deserve such a bad rap. Hey, it's good for you and for me. That's a worldly idea. That's a worldly idea. The problem is that God says pride is bad. It's bad and it leads to destructive things. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Self-focus and pride, it blinds us to seeing God's incredible greatness, His miraculous work in our lives and in the lives of other people. And it wrongly puts the focus on us. When we're so full of ourselves, it's hard to have a God-word focus. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He opposes opposes the proud. It's not a good thing. Our focus should be on him, his greatness. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Amen. Psalm 86 says, there's none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any words like your, works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come to worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. If you're great and you do wondrous things, you alone are God. In his book, Exemplary Husband, Stuart Scott says this, Prideful people believe that they by themselves are or should be the accomplisher of anything that is worthwhile to accomplish and that they should certainly be the benefactor the benefactor of all things and self-focus and pride is the root of all sin and the bible warns about it and not to engage in it and make no mistake our pride is sinful our self-focus is sinful when we make ourselves the center of all of our attention God isn't at the center of our attention. And we miss the opportunity to take notice of his greatness that could launch us into loving him more, serving him more, serving others more. And so we're called to see God's greatness, but not our own. And whatever we do, we're supposed to do it for God's glory in view and in practice. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. A self-focused person says, I'm great. What's in it for me? How will this help me? How will this ultimately get me to what I so fully deserve? Self-focus and pride draws us away from humility, where God wants me and you, and away from seeing his greatness by focusing on our own ideas and desires. 
we got to focus less on ourselves and see the wondrous works of God. And they didn't. Somehow, they made it about themselves. We do the same thing. Second thing I want us to see is that our self-focus can prevent us from serving God and loving others the way he wants us to. And so, they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, and he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said, hey, if anybody wants to be first, he needs to be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst, and taking him in his arms, he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I love what Jesus says in verse 33. I love the question. Hey, what were you talking about? What were you guys talking about? And they kept silent on the way because they'd argued about who was greatest. And he sits them down. And he says, look, if you want to be first, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And you got to serve everybody. And he takes this kid and he puts him in the middle and he takes the child in his arms. Jesus loved children. And he said, whoever receives one child in my name receives me. If anyone would be first, he's got to be last and servant of all. That word for servant, yakonos, means to wait tables. It means to serve. Food. Be a waiter. It's where we get our word deacon. It means table waiter. The epitome of serving. If anyone would be first. In other words, those of you who want to be first, and obviously they wanted to be first, that's what the argument was about in the first place, has to serve everyone. You know, in every culture, we have things that, that kind of help us develop values. I can think of things in my life, things and people and ideas that mold values. Every person here, every one of you, can think of influential things or people or events or groups that have impacted your life and help shape your view of what's important and what you value. It's just other people's influence in a culture and on you is undeniable. You're probably already thinking about people or music or something that shaped your life from your childhood, shaped your values, your practices. You know, they were arguing about who was greatest. And some people would say, well, that's what they did in that culture. They, it was common. It was acceptable. So you can see the cultural's influence in how they worked it out. They didn't have great examples. They didn't have great examples 
of people of influence in their culture. John MacArthur says, The religious leaders were men who exalted themselves. Matthew 23, 5-7, Jesus talks about this. He talks about the religious leaders of the day, about the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, says it this way, The scribes and the Pharisees do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the places of honor at feasts. And they love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings at marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi by others. They had credits and religious titles. The disciples didn't have, they didn't have great examples. They had Jesus' greatest example. Then comes along Jesus and he gives them this, this countercultural news. That if you want to be first, you got to serve others. you got to make yourself available to the least of all. Those people that don't deserve it. Those that don't necessarily reciprocate your service back. you got to make yourself available and serve the least. If you want to be great, you got to get rid of your greatness and you got to serve. That's what Jesus did. As our best example. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's what we got to do. This is what we have to do. We have to put off thinking about ourselves so much. And we have to put on humility. We have to look at Jesus' example of humility. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we got to remember who we really are. We're really sinners in need of God's grace. And if we're in Christ, we're to make much of him, not about ourselves. Not about ourselves. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. It says, For I decided to know nothing among you, nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we got to repent. We have to repent. We've got to repent of our self-focus and our pride, and we got to put it off, and we got to put on what He wants, and we gotta, we got to repent and walk away from our self-focus that keeps us from others, keeps us from seeing His greatness, and keeps us from serving others and loving God. we got to put on compassionate hearts. That's what the Bible says. Put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness. That means a gentle disposition. We don't jockey for our position. We serve others. And we do it with patience. And we got to bear with one another. And we have to forgive one another. And above all, above all, we have to put on love. And where self-focus looks inward at our importance, humility looks outward towards the needs of others. Self-focus looks at what others can do for me. Humility serves others and says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Self-focus says, you're not my concern. Jesus says, you are to be concerned about others.
Jesus says, I came to serve you. Self-centeredness and self-focus says, you serve me. Self-focus demands glory for our goodness. And humility gives glory to God because he's good. Let me tell you another quick little story. Make it quick. The Wednesday, my, our trash day is Wednesday. And so I took the trash out, had a busy day, got home, and I'm taking the trash cans like a good neighbor and put them in the back. And as I've got two trash cans, I heard this argument erupt at my neighbor's house. And for me to say they were exchanging unpleasantries is an understatement. And I said audibly, kind of out loud, Southside! And when I got to the house, I kind of wondered if they heard me. And then there's a snowstorm. And I'm out blowing snow off my driveway, being super meticulous about it. And I see my neighbor, who I've never really noticed before, except I heard him on Wednesday. And he's struggling. So I get done, and I take my snowblower over there, and I'm like, hey, dude, just use my snowblower. And he uses it. In the meantime, I have Julie get me a to-go cup of coffee. He gets done. He says thanks, and I'm like, uh, dude, you drink coffee? And he says, good looking out. Yeah, I drink coffee, which I hadn't heard that term for a long time, by the way, good looking out. And I said... <laughs> Hey, uh, my name's Andy. He goes, I'm Dice. I said, huh? My name's Dice. And I'm like, dude, I've never heard that name before. Dice, that's a cool name, Dice. Yeah, and as usually happens to me, he just started talking. Dice has got stage four kidney cancer. He's staying at his mother-in-law's house. He's going to have a kidney removed in February. I've never seen him before. He's also done a little bit of time. And I said, oh, I, 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 I know that world. I said, dude, how are you doing spiritually? He's like, well, I, you know, I do a lot of things. I read. I mean, I kind of believe... Everything kind of goes in the same direction, like, um, um, you know, I, I do sweat lodges, and I do this, and I do that, and I read. I said, well, I'm a counseling pastor at our church. He's like, I figured. <laughs> Only a counseling pastor snow blows a certain way, I guess. I said, Dude, you read John 14, 6. He gave me a funny look. I said, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. He's like, right on, right on. I'll do that. And I said, I want to talk to you again. You know what John Calvin said? He said, there's nothing which men resemble God more truly than in doing good to others. Now, 
these opportunities that come along, they're God opportunities. I haven't always taken advantage of every opportunity, and neither have you. But something inside me said, go. You got to go. Don't argue with me. You got to go. Take your snowblower over there. So I did. I can't really explain it. One minute they're arguing. I'm saying south side. And the next minute, we're having a gospel conversation. Those are God moments. Those are God moments. And I am far too focused on myself sometimes to take full advantage of those God moments. But I'm thankful for them. You see, Jesus says, whoever receives. He, repeat, he repeats that four times. Four times in the, in the verses we read. One such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives me and him who sent me. To receive, that means to take by the hand. To take by the hand. To be hospitable. In some cases, it, it would even mean like to bring him into your family. And so then we see Jesus. He, he, he grabs this kid. And he take him, takes him in his arms and he makes it obvious that this child has value. That's the whole idea on Child Dedication Sunday. Of course we express our devotion to God and a desire to serve Him by bringing up our children in the training, admonition of the Lord. As He would have us do. It's right. It's right. It's good. It's a godly thing to do. And Jesus takes the smallest person in the room a child in that room full of adults that might otherwise go and notice. And he makes it clear that loving God is loving and serving others. It's not just giving attention to the loudest voice in the room. It's, it's also giving attention to the smallest voice in the room. It's what it is. It's loving those that he loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Everyone has value in Jesus' economy. And as believers in Jesus, we're, we're not to serve ourselves, but we're called to serve those around us. We're called to, to serve the, the marginalized, the people that have less, the people that have more, the people that ride a bus, the people that drive a car. The people that have money, the people that don't have money. The young, the old, we're called to serve. There are people right now, right now, in front of you, that if we take our focus off ourselves, we see. And God will bring them into our life for us to take full advantage of the opportunities he gives us that way. So this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, let's just, let's just commit to putting off our self-focus and the stuff that we do so easily by thinking about ourselves and talking about ourselves 
And we'll be more clearly able to see His greatness. And we'll be more clearly able to see the opportunities to serve Him more. And if you don't know Jesus, and all this stuff is just swirling around in your brain, you're like, I don't even know Him. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'd say, well, I'm thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. We'd love to talk to you more about Jesus and how he wants to save you and his love for you and how you can be saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And when you do, he changes your perspectives, he changes your focus, he changes everything about you. So let's be, let's be putting off our self-focus and putting on the love of Christ and serving others. Let's pray. God, thanks for the morning. Thanks for your word, which is good and rich. God, and I pray um, that there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that that's a, you'd help us to be able to have a conversation um, with them about your love for them, God. Help us to be people that put off and put on. We put off our self-focus and, and put on the love of Christ and serve others. We're thankful to be here this morning, God, and uh, thankful for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.